Dharmic Evolution. I'm your host, James Kevin O'Connor, singer-songwriter, audio-video artist, and master storyteller. So glad to have you aboard. And today, as our special guest, we have Mr. William Accardino. Now, Bill is an executive coach, entrepreneur, and has a bunch of great tips, stories, ideas, and uh, all kinds of uh, material to share with us. So I'm excited to have him with us here today. So uh, put on your seatbelts, strap in tight, let's go for a ride. So today, I am delighted to have as my guest on Dharmic Evolution, this is James Kevin O'Connor, I have Bill Accardino from Manasquan, New Jersey. Uh, Bill, amongst many, many other disciplines and um, uh, shingles that he wears and things that he's accomplished in his life, is an executive coach and, um, you know, it's an amazing resume and the things you do... uh, I'm always kind of blown away by Bill, and I wanted to just welcome you to Dharmic Evolution. Great to have you aboard. Thanks, Kevin. I'm glad to be here. And, uh, you know, I just want to, as a little side note here, I just want to share a quick story with the audience. And the way I got uh, connected to Bill was through uh, uh, my brother who introduced us uh, when I had kind of a life transition. It's going back um, to last August. I guess it's about nine or ten months ago. Um where my life kind of took a, a little bit of a turn, uh, and it turns out for the much better. And I got introduced to Bill, who I came in, I'll never forget. Uh, when we got introduced, I was all ready for you to say, what are you talking about? You're out of your mind. You did all this, <laughs> all these things throughout your career, and now you're just going to say, now I'm burning all the bridges and I'm I'm doing something completely different, and uh, it didn't phase you in the least. You, as a matter of fact, you just said, "Okay, let's let's look into this. Let's tear it apart a little bit and let's figure out what you're gonna do." So um, I want to start by asking you, how did you become an executive coach amongst your your many other uh, disciplines in your life? How did you get to this? What inspired you to to make this career decision? And how did it all transform back, um, you know, back at the beginning? Sure, sure. Um, I, and I, I think we may have discussed uh, this briefly, Kevin, but I started my career in finance. And uh, first yes. in banking, commercial lending officer, then I went into corporate finance. And what was, what was interesting is the, yeah, and I majored in finance because we all take vocational advice from an 18-year-old. I got out of high school. I said, what do I want to do? And all the men in my neighborhood had the pinstripe suits and the Wall Street Journal and the attache case. So I said, I want to be like them. So that's that's the path I took. But what I realized, I got, I was a management trainee at the bank and the choice job was commercial lending. And only two of the 20 trainees got it. And after about a year, I went to my boss and I said, I want to go in the back office back into operations. And he was going to call a psychiatrist to help me <laughs> uh, figure out why. And, and the reason why is every time I went back there to drop off some loan documents, I, I saw a lot of people who were working really hard, 
were not getting any guidance, didn't feel appreciated, and they just, because of that, the organization wasn't effective. So I wanted to fix it. I just had this, this urge to, to help people become more successful. So I made that transition. Then I went into corporate finance doing the same type of work. Um, and what happened is I had the good fortune of working for a woman. Uh, her name was Stephanie. And she came into my office one day and she said, you know, Bill, the, the numbers don't talk to you, do they? And I yeah. looked at her strangely. And I said, well, uh, I said, I hear voices, but it's, it's not the numbers. And she said, you really don't get excited when we're talking about financial analysis and the annual statement and all that good stuff. And I said, no, she said, but I do notice that you get excited when you're coaching your team and you're building an organization. And that's something that you should consider doing. And as I talk, you know, you have that ego going that I'm a finance guy. That was my image. Right. So I fought it for about another year. And then I realized that what gets me jazzed up is helping other people become more successful define the way they define success not some exterior you know title promotions money etc it's it's really helping people understand what gets them jazzed up you know why do they get out of the bed out of bed in the morning and that's something that i just did it for a number of years without actually having the title executive coach and then I slowly started to make the transition where I started to do it as a profession rather than just part of my leadership responsibilities. Okay, so you you got into, you were a numbers guy early, but right. you felt the pull going in a different direction. Even though you were probably very good at numbers, it just wasn't lighting you up every day. And, and you felt like you could make a difference because it just happened, you know, it just happened organically without you thinking about it. Is that kind of right. the way it went? Right. That, that's a, a good way to view it, because it it wasn't that I was sitting there in my office saying I, I need to do something different. That, that came later. It was more I kept being gravitated towards assignments and situations where I could work with other people to help them become more successful. So I had um, the, the light bulb really went on when I was asked to turn around this cost accounting group had a bunch of talented people, but they just weren't firing on all cylinders. They were working enormous overtime. So I was asked to go in and see if I could clean it up. And the, the, the mission, if you will, was you're probably going to have to fire most of the people. So, um, so I went in there and I started to get to know the folks. And then I started to realize that they were all talented. They were all hardworking. It was just that they were in positions that weren't aligned with what they were passionate about. So what I did is I went through a process of, of helping them identify what really gets them excited. Then some of them stayed and we shifted their positions and some of them did leave. And I remember one individual in particular, I, I helped him uh, find uh, fi uh, or realize that he really wasn't meant to be a staff accountant. So I basically, I fired him. And, um, but the way I did it was with a high level of dignity and respect. And I used to get letters from him from time to time telling me about how excited he was in his new career in the photography business. Oh, wow. So, so, so he gave you a big thank you. In other words, right. you know, at the time it was probably, you know, emotional and, oh, this is the end of the world. But he probably, after the smoke cleared, said, wow, this guy did me the biggest favor because right. he realized that I was not connected to my passion. I was in the wrong, completely wrong business. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so then one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, how do you like, it seems to me, 
that one of the things, and I have to thank you for recommending me to uh, uh, hook up with the Brendan Bouchard thing. I went out there to uh, Santa Clara a few weeks back, and and one of the things I was thinking about you while I was there, because a lot of the people I met, uh, this uh, this ongoing theme kept popping up, and it's you know, I'm in financial, I'm in New York, I'm making a ton of money, got a great relationship, but I am just not happy with my life. I'm not connected. So it occurred to me that probably from where I sit and looking at what you do, one of the hardest things I would think is to how to get people to connect to their passion when they can't find it, when they're, when they're searching for it, they know it's elusive, they want to be connected to it in the worst way. How do you how do you do that? How do you pull that out of your hat? Well, it's really yeah. The answers are all inside, as you know, Kevin. And it's just asking all the right questions at the right time and listening to the answers, observing the body language. When we first met, we were talking about you know your your electrical contracting business and. I had like 100, I think 103 uh, electricians on your team, and it was successful. You did MetLife Stadium. Yeah, tele- it a- teledata guys, L- little <laughs> little wire guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I was in both realms at one time. But yes, yeah, it yeah. was it was a little stressful, but but yeah. Sure. And and, and when you're describing it, you were you're very articulate, and it was very businesslike. And then I said, "Tell me more." And then when you start to talk about your music. You sat up in the in your chair. You leaned forward. You started to get more um, uh, excited about the discussion, and it became clear to me early on that your true passion was was music and and reaching out to other people and helping helping people look inside themselves. So um, so it's it's asking those questions and then sitting back and and listening, and when. I receive or get very business-like responses, I know they're on automatic pilot, the individual. And it's from years and years and years of talking about what they do. So I look for those little signs uh, that people get excited. i give you an example. Uh, personally, when I left finance full-time, I was with this large Fortune 100 company and they were starting a program where it was a two-day leadership training program on diversity and inclusion. And they wanted to create a team of line managers who had a reputation for enjoying helping other people and HR professionals. So I was one of the line managers. And over a period of two years, I did about 300 of those sessions, personally facilitated those. It was the same program. Uh, two two days a week because it was a two-day program for like two and a half years. So somebody asked me once, said, Bill, how could you do that? How could you do the same training program? And I said, well, a couple of ways I could look at it. When my alarm clock goes off in the morning, I could say, all right, here I have to do that same training program again. Or I could say, I have another opportunity to help my fellow leaders be more successful. And by their success, the whole concept of diversity and inclusion was helping other people and valuing differences, it would be have a rippling effect. And that's what, what would get me excited day in, day out. And then after that, I made the transition and started my own business because I realized that's something that I really needed to do. And it wasn't work. I was traveling all around the country. It was a rigorous schedule. I was seldom tired. 
But so, you, uh, but you were using, but you were implementing a program that obviously worked. That you were getting results. Right. Yes. And, and so yeah. that's that's the difference right there. Right. So right. one of the things you talk about often, and you've counseled me with, um, talking about, and this is a big one in my mind: success to significance. Now, would you just, you know? take our listeners through exactly what that means and all of the parameters that surround that statement. You know, how can somebody recognize that statement and what does it do for them? Like, what is it exactly? Sure. When, uh, when we go into the, our our careers, whatever our careers might be, there are certain milestones. There are certain, um, rungs in the ladder that were conditioned from kindergarten through college to uh, view achievement as getting an A, getting a promotion, getting a, a, a raise. So we're, we're viewed as successful when all that stuff happens. So if you think about a social uh, event any of us go to as adults, if people are coming together for the first time, they haven't met, one of the first questions asked is, what do you do for a living? So, uh, so it's all that conditioning. So if you could say, going back to to me when I was a finance guy, when you would say you were um, on the finance side of, of the business for a major company, it would pique people's interest. It was that uh, extrinsic motivation. So when you start to think about um, you know, defining success that way, it's short-lived. And that's when people uh, like you met, uh, that you mentioned recently, uh, they're saying, you know, I'm in finance, I'm making a lot of money, but it's, it's just not working for me. Significance, if we move from success to significance, it's really trying to align our career pursuits with what we have inside. You know, we want to do meaningful work. There have been many studies on what motivates us. You know, one is autonomy. The other is growth, always learning. And an important third is really looking at doing meaningful work something that's significant, that is significant, and has nothing to do with money. Uh, for some, what is significant for them happens to pay handsomely, and that's okay. For others, it's not. Right. One, one of the examples I, I use often is um, an old high school friend of mine. When we were in high school, she always talked about wanting to be a teacher, and specifically a special ed teacher. This is when we were sophomores, so what are you, 14, 15 years old? And she graduated, she got a, a position, um, a town right right um, close to us in Manasquan. She's been there for, for 40 years. And she has a picture on her mantle of her children and grandchildren now and her uh, students. Um, and she just loves doing what she's doing. And she is one of the most successful people I know. I don't know how much money she makes, but I'm guessing it's not a lot being a school teacher. Right. But, but she is one of the most successful people I know the way she defines it. And she's doing work that has significance for her. It's something that's meaningful for, for her. And significance, while we might define it differently, but it typically deals with helping other people, serving. Uh, it's, it's adding value, leaving each situation uh, better whenever we encounter an individual, if we start to look at our, our lives, our, and including our careers, if we look at it as an opportunity to help other people and to make the world a better place, 
it's more than a trite phrase. It's something that energizes all of us, and the impact is exponential. Okay, absolutely. And that's, um, you know, that's something I run into and I'm very, very aware of. Uh, you know, people measure one another with the yardstick of how many toys do I have? And, you know, there's that, <laughs> there's that whole idea that, you know, the one who ends up with the most toys and the brightest toys is winning, but right. it's kind of a trap actually. And it, it, what it does in my mind is it, it keeps you and prevents you from experiencing your real life force. And Absolutely. so, so, so when, when I see you doing this kind of work, when I see how you can kind of peel back the uh, petals of the flower and get to what is the you know, what's the genesis of this person? Who is this person? Have they ever even looked? So I want to move on to a statement you made also in the world is too complex. And that's another thing that you go in and you help people with uh, dealing with. And I, I think there's never been a time in history where, you know, the complexity of our lives can be like completely overwhelming with with all of the things going on, all of the uh, technology available. So it's easy to get buried. And how do you help people deal with that? The the first thing is to to help people understand, you know, what, why are they there? What are the overarching uh, values that are important to them? Do those values align with the organization, whether they're the leader, the business owner, or, or a team member? But it's getting a sense of where are we going? What are we trying to accomplish as an organization when I do work with organizations, uh, leaders in their teams? So we, we take a look at um, where we're going and why and who we're serving, and then look at each team member to see, does this align with who I am, what my values are, so that I can um, uh, play a part that's, once again, using the word significance, but play a significant role in achieving that success. So when we, when we do that, that always makes for a more cohesive team. Uh, it leads to success. And that was always a good thing to do. It, it was a way you could take your, your organization to the next level. Today, right. however, the world is so complex that even a small business, let's say with 20 employees, the business owner can't have all the answers to everything because it's too complex, whether it's the technology, whether it's the changing marketplace. So that's when they start hiring people. But usually the people they're hiring are doers. They're people who are just going to, um, you know, extra set of hands but they're still the ones who are making all the strategic decisions. That doesn't work anymore. Right. What, the, what the leaders need to do is to inspire their teams and trust their teams so that some of the strategic decisions, shifts in strategy that occur or that need to occur in the business are coming from the bottom up, not just the top down. So that was always a good way to lead. However, today it's essential, and the companies that uh, don't realize that are the ones that are continuing to flounder, the ones that continue to have layoffs that, you know, you read the paper and you wonder, you know, why is this company laying off another thousand people? And a lot of it has to do with the leaders trying to make all the decisions and not 
recognizing that they're just not smart enough. And that's that's hard. If you have a hard-charging executive or business owner who's been successful for 25 years doing it a certain way, that's hard for them to put that ego aside and look at somebody who might be 25 years old but who's a lot smarter in this particular area and and just uh, defer to them when decisions need to be made. So so what happens is a lot of the lead leaders um, unfortunately as you stated they get caught up with their own egos and they're they're missing the boat with talent and um, uh, that's their own people could probably fix the ship internally if they only listened mm-hmm. and uh, I experienced that you know like you know I used to hire people a lot of people and um, you know some kid would come in and he's like 19 or 20 years old. And I'd watch him work, and he had a way of doing things that was completely unique and completely something I never even thought of. So you can always learn something from someone, and it doesn't matter, uh, you know, where they are in their life. But you know, we can we can all be observers of that and and benefit from it. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk to you also about, um, you know, tying together the connection of. My career transition work uh, with corporate work, and that's in, that's in one of the statements you made. So, um, when you have people who, you know, they're doing the transition, um, it's kind of probably a little scary for a lot of people to to do this. But just you know, walk us through that. What happens with that? The career transition. Well, a, a career transition. The first thing I do when I'm sitting down with somebody who has uh, had their position eliminated, and they're thinking, all right, what are, what are the next steps? What do I need to do? 90% of the time, the instinct is to find a job similar to the one they had. So, because it's what they're comfortable with, they've been successful. So what I do is I-, I And it's safe, right? And it's safe, right. it's safe, absolutely, because they've been successful, even if their position was eliminated, they've been successful. So what I'd start to do, and, and we talked about a little bit earlier, is really ask those questions and and listen and observe what the responses are to see if that that type of role is really something that would appear to be aligned with uh, with the individual. So um, so we go through we go through that process, and and sometimes it's uh, it's dead on, and they they need to keep marching on, and then the focus of my coaching is to help them find positions that are similar to the one they came from. But sometimes what happens is I I realize that it would seem that the individual needs to make a shift and perhaps because their last role was not aligned with who they are, perhaps their performance started to lose a little bit of its edge. They're still, you know, people are hardworking, they're smart, they still deliver, but they, they seem to have lost their mojo. They, so, they just don't don't seem to to be firing on all cylinders, and sometimes that's the reason why it leads to uh, to their position being eliminated. Okay, so so what do you th- well what really happens to the person that they do lose that? Is it just because they're they're in the wrong pond? It, yeah, there's yeah they're starting to realize that even though I can do this and I've done it many times, it, it no longer gets me excited. You know, if we're you know when I was in finance. Each time I did something different, the satisfaction was in learning something new and being successful, and and that was that was what uh, 
uh, kept me interested. But then I got to a point after 15 years of doing that where there were very few situations that I hadn't encountered. So it no longer uh, got me interested from the standpoint of new challenges and then accomplishing and, and implementing uh, successful projects. So when somebody is in a role that really, it may have been a match when they first started, but it's no longer a match, but they fight it because we're creatures of habit. And, you know, as you said, it's comfortable, it's safe. Then they have to uh, start looking inside and saying, is there something else I should do? There are a couple of factors then that come into play besides just the normal fear. One certainly is if it's a very significant shift in what they're doing. Chances are they're not going to make uh, the same salary that they did, at least in the beginning, until they, they move over, adjust, get some, uh, some successes uh, under their belts, and then they can start, uh, uh, their earning potential can go up and get back to where it was. So that happens sometimes as well. So that's another reason why somebody might say, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. How can I, how can I shift? I was working with somebody who was um, uh, 50, had just turned 50. And he said, you know, Bill, well, you know, I, I hate doing what I'm doing, but I'm too old to, to shift. So I said, well, you know, how long do you think you'll work? He said, oh, I, I think I'm going to want to work until I'm 70. I said, all right, so you want to make a decision now that for 20 years you're going to be miserable. Right. Because it's safe. Think of what that's going to do to your health. Think of what it's going to do to your relationships with your family and just your general enjoyment of your life. And then say, is, is it really worth it? Or should I make a, a shift? I had a client when I was a banker. When I, when I got him as a client, he was already a client at the bank. He was 73 years old. He was the top uh, attorney in the Northeast for product liability litigation in the pharmaceutical industry. So when I first sat down with him, I said, you know, Henry, when are you going to retire? Uh, and he looked at me and said, retire from what? He said, I love doing this. I said, he said, let me tell you my story. He was a executive, top executive in the pharmaceutical industry. And then at 53, he got fired. Uh, they, they eliminated his position. They didn't think he, he had any value anymore. So um, his wife said jokingly, Henry, you always wanted to be a lawyer. Why don't you go back to law school? So she was kidding. He was not. He went back to law school, got his law degree. So from 53 to, to 73, he had 20 years of doing what he loved and what he had passion for. And he said, I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, keep working until I, I physically can't. So, um, so that was somebody who was very successful. He was a senior VP for one of the major pharmaceutical companies, but it wasn't right for him. So, uh, so he was successful, but not not in an intrinsic way. Right. So the whole the whole retirement thing, I think, is a bit overblown and misunderstood. And uh, from from what I've seen, it it seems that the people who continue on, uh, you know, and and working in their their dharmic uh, space, the the place that they were born to to work in, mm -hmm. are, are completely content and happiest. When I think very few people can do the, you know, to do the sandals on the beach thing, you know, it's like, right, right. okay, this was great for about a week, maybe 10 yeah. days, but now what, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm wasting away here. Uh, so I, I don't know, like I said, very few people I think can pull that off and, and really uh, enjoy that because I think as human beings, we're born to be 
you know, productive and and have accomplishments. To that sure. that's what fuels us, I think. So when, I when you're to... when you're aligned, Kevin, with with your career is really aligned with who you are. Um, and, and and some look at it as a as a negative uh, because you do need that mental break. But when you're on vacation, when you're in the sandals and and, and at the beach, you um, you enjoy it for for a while, and then you genuinely start to miss working. Yeah. And and when you when you have that experience, uh, what you know, we took a, a week in Aruba for ten years, and then finally we said let's do two weeks. So intellectually, I was like. Sign me up. Let's do two weeks. Right. So it was nice. And then uh, the Monday of the second week, my wife noticed that we're sitting on the beach in the beach chairs and I started tapping my fingers. That's a sign that that I'm starting to get restless and I want to start doing something else. By Wednesday, I, I almost had a twitch because I wanted to get back <laughs> doing what I what I love to do. So um, so that's good and it's bad. What it, it, it's good in that it it's a measure of how I'm aligned with who I am. Right. It's bad in that you do have to then develop the skill of compartmentalizing, and you do need to take those two weeks. It's different for everyone because there's a um, uh, something you know there, there's a law of diminishing productivity that even if we're perfectly aligned, who we are and what we do is the same that we over time become less productive unless we take those those mental breaks. So um, Yeah, recharging is really really important. And yeah. I I love it. Like a long weekend is usually good for me and by the time the end of the long weekend I am just I'm just so charged up to get back cuz I luckily for me I recharge very quickly and I'm I get thoughts of like, what am I going to do next? I got, I got all these ideas now that I have to explode with. Hey, I wanted to ask you of all the things that you do and, uh, you know, just real quickly, you know, organization development, leadership development, change management, process improvement, diversity inclusion, coaching and mentoring, strategic planning, execution, program management. These are all the things that you do with your business, Success Maps in Manasquan, New Jersey, as the president and the owner and author of this company. What is your favorite of all the things uh, that you have in your toolbox? Like, what's your favorite thing to do out of all these I, I would say when I'm when I'm working with a small business, and I'll, I'll use a um, a new project I'll be starting shortly. I, I started executive coaching for a um, a prominent surgeon. Okay. And, and he's widely successful, extrinsically, and he loves what he does. But he has this vision of where he wants to take his practice. And so we're working on that and I've been coaching him and he's, he's starting to look at things differently. Sometimes he gets a little too intense as, as many high performers do. So we're working on how we can more effectively influence people. So, so you start to get, you know, you start to get, um, uh, a good feel for, for how committed this person is to change, but what, where it's going now, which is what, what I, what I enjoy the most is, he wants to bring his team into the fold, if you will, uh, getting back to the world being too complex, bring his team into, into the fold and start looking at how can he, he build his team to be more cohesive and to be aligned with his dream, which eventually he wants to have a more holistic um, uh, view of the services he pr- provides. 
So, um, so working with his team, working with, with him and then aligning everything. And the one thing he said, and these are the, the little statements that, that get me uh, jazzed up is he said, you know, I was talking to my wife the other day, we were, we were on uh, vacation and she said she recognized how I'm changing my perspective and how I'm becoming more relaxed in terms of my approach because he was very, um, uh, very high strung and he was reaching that point of um, the law of diminishing productivity because he was pushing too hard. So when you think of, you know, why do I do what I do? If you think of when you work with a leader and his or her team, they all have friends, family, spouses, partners, coworkers. And if you can help them get to a point where it's truly work-life blending, where who they are and what they do is the same. If you think of the rippling effect in out in the world, because they're going to be better husbands, better wives, better brothers and sisters, uh, community volunteers, church members. And that is, is something that, that gets me excited. Also, I had a, a client who was estranged from his daughter from his first marriage, and he avoided conflict, and that's why he never reached out to her. She was uh, 23 at the time. So I was working with him, and I, and I told him, I said, you know, what you have to do is you have to reach out to your daughter because I can tell it's eating you away. Um, the very next week we met and he said, uh, and she had moved to Brooklyn. I went up to Brooklyn. I helped her get set in her new apartment. I got her a cell phone and now she, it was right before Thanksgiving. She's coming down to, uh, to our house uh, for Thanksgiving and there were tears in his eyes. So is he going to be a better, he happened to be a physician as well. Is he going to be a better physician? Um, because he has that new connection now with his daughter who he hadn't seen in 10 years? Absolutely. Because he's going to start to, to be more effective at work, is he going to be a better father? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, it's those types of rewards that I get when people tell me how, uh, how helping them become more focused and aligned is, is what really gets me excited. Okay, so what you do, part of your magic trick is, you know, being a David Blaine of the world, you are able to take people, and correct me if I'm wrong, but get them connected with who they are, not what they do. And once right. they live from a sense of who I am as a person, you know, the things that you do are just a byproduct of of what's going on inside of you. and right. And so with that kind of information and help people can live a more productive and a, a loving life if you will so it's it's amazing i think what you do is amazing i mean i have such respect for people that do what you do uh teachers you know people who are just kind of like they're doing this these things these amazing magical things to help the world and a lot of us are just unaware of it um so uh to that end i thank you personally for helping me on my journey because uh, it, it's been it's been just great and it will continue. So I wanted to ask you also about tell me what your day's like, Bill. Like how does your how does your day unfold? Like what do you do first thing in the morning? Like when you get up, like what's your first thing? Like how do you go through? What's the, what's the perfect day for Bill Acardino? The perfect day for me is is to get up early and to do some reading, some inspirational reading. One of, the, one of the key things that I feel is important for people in, in, in our business 
is is to remind ourselves that we also need to grow, we also need to develop, and we need to continue to get closer to understanding who we are and why we're here. What's our God-given purpose? So, um, so, so I do some reading. Um, I, I might uh, then go over and do some quick business reading, the Wall Street Journal, because you have to stay uh, current on what's going on in the business world. And then in the morning, any uh, development type work, whether it be planning for a coaching session, developing a training program, uh, looking at a new marketing technique, I do that in the morning because I, you know, I flow into reminding myself why I do what I do to then planning or creating something. And then from that standpoint, then I like to, some of my, uh, uh, my work is by phone, some is in person. I like to, to mix it up and be out there um, uh, helping people in a variety of different ways. So um, it's, it's, it's that type of um, mixture, if you will, of different ways. You know, so there's, there's reading, inspirational reading, planning, developing, and then applying and, and helping people. And, you know, when we, when we realize that who we are and what we do is, is in perfect alignment, it's when we don't feel that we have to unwind or make the transition between work and our personal lives. So, right. uh, you know, that, that's something that uh, at one point I, I was a little overextended time-wise with uh, volunteer work. So I joined another uh, committee and my wife was saying, you, you know, you really don't have the time. She's my best advisor, by the way. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm just going to be a, a member of the team. And she just smiled because uh, she knew that was impossible for me. So for the first three or four meetings, I was just a member of the team. Then my fingers started to tap and I started <laughs> to realize that I had more to contribute if, if I was in a leadership role. And then I think by the fifth or sixth week, I was the chair of the, of the committee. You're in. You're in. It's so built I, into so you. So I was in. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. And the reason why, you know, I might overextend in terms of time commitment is because I'm not thinking, oh, it's another project, another thing, another bit of work. Right. It's just, uh, you know, being who I am. I coached soccer for my son for 13 years. I was a member of the board um, as well as running a consulting practice. But in each role, uh, you know, whether I had a, 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 a soccer um, jersey on or a suit, I was doing the same thing. So it's built into you. You you just more of you comes out, and there's there's no there's no hiding it. It's it's got you know. I I think you view your, uh, you know, your volunteer work and things like that as an opportunity for you to uh, uncover more of you, which is a wonderful thing for the people who right. are on the reciprocative uh, reciprocative end of that um, reciprocating end of it. Um, I want to ask you about reading. What are you reading these days? Like what's what's hot on your list? Um, I my Team-based um, uh, corporate work, where team-based strategic execution is really helping business owners and their teams turn their strategic intent into um, into uh, business results. So, because of that, I do a lot of uh, a lot of reading on strategy and uh, a lot of reading on teamwork. One of the most effective um, approaches to effective teamwork is the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, that's that's something that I've read on strategic execution. There's the four disciplines of, of execution. 
so any anything that I can read that that helps me um, uh, help others execute their strategy flawlessly is, is something that uh, that I find helpful. Uh, on the so so that's the pure business or professional reading, if you will. Right. And then and then getting back to how I how I start my day with with inspirational reading. There are so many uh, so many great books out there. Uh, and the ones that I have found over the years that are real winners, I have a tendency to read over again. So, um, so one is, uh, you know, our friend Brendan Burchard. Uh, so I've read his Millionaire Messenger, which is a phenomenal book helping, uh, helping people who are in the expert business, which when you think of any knowledge worker, you're in the expert business. Right. So how, how best do you, uh, do you share more of yourself in that regard? Um, the, uh, his most recent book, the, uh, motivation manifesto is, is excellent. So, um, so I, I've read that. And then there are some of the classics that I keep going back to. One of them is the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. Yes. Thank you for and, that recommendation. I picked yeah, it up and read it a few times. Thank you. That was, yeah, was a good it's, one. It's, it's really, when you think of if we are not successful at living in the present, more often than not, we're not going. Our life is just going to go by, and all of a sudden we're going to look up and say, "What happened?" And uh, that book really helps, and uh, I've read it uh, multiple times as well. And and that book helps realize that you really have to live in the present. So um, so that's that's a classic. That, and it takes uh, it takes uh, it takes work to do that. It's like it's you know we're we're so easily distracted to the future and the past that you know like you just said we miss it. We're missing we're missing our life literally by, by not living in it. Hey, um, there's, a, there's another um, uh, it's not a book, but there are ebooks as part of it, but there's a website and it's thinktq.com. Um, no, no spaces. Okay. And thinktq.com, what they have done is they're out of Colorado. They've identified a hundred practices, a hundred practices that if you really nail it, and if you live those practices, uh, you will be successful, how, however you define success. So, so it's easy enough, you know, you could read the hundred practices and there's a, an assessment that you take. So obviously a hundred is your perfect. And, um, it's something that, uh, that very few people I know, or actually nobody I know is a hundred. Right. So, so you keep striving. But what I like about it is they give you, um, ideas on how you can do that. So one of them could be living in the present. One of the practices, of course, they, they phrase it differently. Another one, uh, you know, the, the first, uh, and then they, they categorize them into 10 categories. One is energy. One is mission. One is taking action. Uh, one is um, synergy. So, so it, it covers all all the bases. But they have uh, today's TQ, and you go every day, and they have some thought-provoking questions. So you answer those questions online, then you save them, and then depending on how you answer them, then you might want to continue going, and you could read one of their eBooks or, or, um, uh, just some, some more information on that particular practice. And that's part of my morning routine as well as every morning I go there and it takes 15 minutes, but it's 15 minutes. It's very focused. They pick one of the hundred practices and then they start giving you information on it and, um, um, and ask, 
for you know your responses, and then what you do is uh, decide if you need to drill down even more. That so that's like a way a... for yeah continuous improvement of the basics, the foundation, if you will. And if you execute, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really something that's important. So. ThinkTQ.com. I will check right. it out. That sounds really amazing. Yes. And just, we're just getting into the, to the last inning here. So I'm going to wrap up with the final question I wanted to ask you. Music. What are you into? What do you listen to? What charges you up? Um, you know, I know you're a Bruce fan, and uh, yeah. you you have no choice. You live in Manasquan, so right. it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a law here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and a good one, I'm sure. Right, so, uh, right. so what gets you charged up about? Like, what do you listen to that that inspires you, or just you know puts you in a zone that you're happy with? You know, I, I uh, of course Bruce, as we mentioned, but I, I I'm a big fan of classic rock, okay. and uh, so. You know, it could be Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young. It could be Neil Young doing his solo, uh, Carol King, James Taylor. Uh, so, so those are you know when I when I go for my my long walks, I, I listen to that type of music. What I find inspirational when I'm uh, when I'm working is I'll have Andrea Bocelli in the background, right, and and his music because he typically has duets in most of his albums with other. Uh, other people like a Sarah Brightman and and uh, I, I just find that uh, background music helpful. Pavarotti. I like uh, yeah yeah I like light jazz. Um, Kenny G. Uh, my my kids always make fun of me saying you know why do you love that elevator music. <laughs> <laughs> So I can't help myself. Well, you can't so, listen to more than two tracks of a Nine Inch Nail album, you know. Right. So I mean, how far can you go, right? But exactly. but but so you've got some eclectic in you, which is which is wonderful. Because I'm the same way. It's like people think you know that know me for you know like he's a rock guy or whatever. I listen like you just mentioned, uh, you know, Andre Pacelli and. Uh, uh, those type of things. Like last week, I had Sinatra on, but a good song yeah. is a good song is a good song. It doesn't yeah. matter the genre. But that's that's cool that you have such a, a uh, eclectic taste for for all of that. And Geography of the Soul is an excellent album. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. That's that's <laughs> awesome. Hey, um, just to wrap up, uh, I want to thank you so much uh, for the the great interview. This this is way too short um, because it seems like we only scratched the surface. However. I want to uh, ask uh, you to just give me the information on how people can reach you. What's the best place for somebody to find out about William A. Accardino, about Success Maps? Uh, if somebody were to contact you, um, how would they how would they go about it? Best way? I think the best way is to go to my website, successmaps.net. Okay. And I have all my contact information there, uh, so they, that, that's probably the easiest uh, easiest way. It has my email, my phone number. Okay, uh, successmaps.net, which is S-U-C-C-E-S-S, maps, M-A-P-S dot net, N-E-T. And it has been amazing, a wonderful interview. Bill Accardino, thank you so much for being a part of Dharmic Evolution. Uh, It was a wonderful interview. I had a great time. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Kevin. Well, that was pretty awesome. Bill Accardino. Hey everybody, thanks so much for being here today on the Dharmic Evolution. I'm your host, James Kevin O'Connor, singer-songwriter, audio-video artist, and master storyteller. Always a pleasure. I'll catch you out on the socials. I'll see you from the stage. Let's find out. Dig a little deeper.
Let's do it.